I thought to myself, have I really felt the spirit? What am I doing here? You know, it was kind of one of those spiraling thoughts of negativity and started to question whether I was doing the right thing. Hello, my name is Blair Murphy, and this is The Bishop's Office, a podcast where I talk to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints about their conversion, missionary service, and life experiences. This week, I'm speaking to John Orth about his mission in New Zealand. I hope you enjoy it. Well, hello, John. How are you today? It's good to catch up with you and talk about your mission. Great. Thank you. I'm doing well and very happy to be talking about my mission to you today. Um, Well, why don't you remind us where you served and and when you served? I served in the New Zealand Wellington Mission, and that was from 1998 to February 2000, so over 20 years ago now. Um, And so did you always grow up wanting to serve a mission? Yes. So I would say I had a pretty standard childhood and growing up in the gospel and always had a desire to be actively involved in the church and to therefore um, serve a mission. And so it was always something that I looked forward to and intended to do and did so. As you think back on those years um, through primary and youth and then preparing to serve a mission, were there particular experiences that really helped form your testimony? Yes, I would say it's only really that as I've looked back and reflected that I've come to understand how my testimony evolved through those years. Uh, It's hard to remember specific occasions where I might say, oh, yes, I had a testimony of that specific principle. I actually remember, though, in my late teenage years, my dad was called as the bishop of our ward. And at that time, he would give talks very often or frequently as a result. And In his talks, he would say things like, and in particular, this one phrase, let me tell you a story. And he would tell us a story about his life and about how he'd gained a testimony of a specific principle, etc. And so I actually remember often thinking, when will I have experiences like that? When will I have a testimony of those things? And a lot of those things started to come while I was on a mission. Like I never doubted the church and I never would say I did have not had a testimony, but it was actually serving a mission that provided those experiences that backed up the learning that I'd received growing up. And so I look back and now recall experiences and can share like he did stories that have resulted in me receiving a testimony of specific principles. I love the way you describe that that thinking you know, when will I have those experiences? I actually think the same way about my life in a, in a slightly different vein. I think, you know, what are the experiences that God has in store for me to have, right? And so I'm excited mm. about things that I can do to, I guess, qualify for or have the opportunity to have those experiences. And I've never heard anybody else sort of describe it like that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So tell me about receiving your mission call. Well, I was 19 at the time, Uh, so obviously back then you had to go out when you were 19, so I'd actually been studying at university, I'd done two years of university, and then applied to go on a mission. I remember receiving the mission call, I'd, I'd never been outside of Australia before, so it was exciting and new. At the time, my best friend, Daniel Venning, 
he and I were preparing for our missions together and we both received our mission calls at the same time and we both were in the same intake for MTC. Mm. Uh, so it was an exciting experience for both of us that we were going together on our missions. He was going to Sydney, but I was going to New Zealand, but we'd both be in the MTC together. Mm. And so uh, we prepared together by going to uh, mission preparation classes and basically we're just excited and enthusiastic together to go Mm. no that's great and what was that mtc experience like uh it was great it was like nothing i had anticipated and i was exhausted by the experience of the long days and the constant learning and studying but really loved the experience and had an immediate bond with the other missionaries and excitement about serving And so tell me about your first area. How did you find adjusting to missionary life? What was your trainer like? Uh, My first area was Palmerston North uh, in the North Island of New Zealand. My trainer, Elder Wheatley, was from Idaho. He was a passionate, hardworking missionary. uh, And so he would get up early and exercise. We would um, be out working all day long. So I really valued my trainer who established right from the beginning really strong work ethic but to complement that a very uh, spiritual approach to being led in the work that we were doing by the spirit and in teaching by the spirit and preparing through the spirit so uh, yeah i was really happy with that as a starting point for my mission and that i guess established the tone of how i then proceeded for the rest of my mission in, in the same vein You mentioned sort of the spiritual preparation and and working through the spirit. What did that look like? Well, the first thing is that we would pray all the time. So we would pray about everything that we did or the decisions that we were to make. There was a component of understanding that some answers come immediately, others will come as we go and do things. And then it was about focusing our efforts on how we help others to feel and recognize the spirit. And as we did that, that only strengthened my testimony because I was constantly feeling the spirit and recognizing it myself as I did. And I remember one particular experience when we were trying to teach someone about that principle, about feeling and recognizing the spirit. And we talked about the experience that Uh, some of the disciples had when they were walking on the road to Emmaus and they recognized that they had just been walking with the Savior. And they said, you know, did not our hearts burn within us? And didn't we, we felt the spirit when we were were there with him. And I can remember sharing that um, scripture from the New Testament to a sister to help her understand these feelings that uh, she might be having. And then feeling the spirit strongly witness to me, like the spirit witnessing of the spirit. (laughs) And it's just a powerful experience. I've always remembered how I felt at that moment when I shared that scripture with her. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? The spirit testifying of the spirit. Um, And there's great power in sort of identifying in lessons and day-to-day life when we are feeling the spirit with others. Um, there's just that punch that comes when you do that. It's, it's great. Yeah, and I felt actually more so recently, actually, there have been times where um, people that I've counselled with have had concerns about whether they've felt the spirit or not. And because I've had these opportunities or experiences where I've been able to clearly differentiate between feeling the spirit and my own feelings, 
I've tried to use that in a way to help counselling with them and helping them to understand that there is a difference. And I think it's important for all of us to come to recognise clearly how the Spirit speaks to us. You mentioned, um, I guess, sharing that experience about the Saviour. As you think back on your mission, are there any other experiences where you found teaching about the Saviour or teaching about his atonement and the role that the Saviour has in our lives to people particularly powerful? Uh, Yeah, let me share two. The first is one where I had a bit of a wake-up call in that area. One time we actually started teaching someone who was a Christian and already had a a belief in Jesus Christ and, and was attending another church. And he asked me about what my understanding of the atonement was. And so I gave him what you might refer to as a stock standard answer. You know, um, it was correct, but it had no feeling, right? Mm. And then he went ahead and then shared an experience that he had with his dying mother um, and about how he linked that to the atonement and the feelings that, that the father and the son must have had at the time. And You know, it was a passionate response with feeling, right? And when he shared that with me, I thought to myself, I really don't know the atonement to the level I need to know it or or I don't feel it or I don't understand it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so that was a wake-up call for me that made me think, well, I need to gain a, a testimony or experience with the atonement and need to understand it at a, at a level that, that the Saviour obviously desires for all of us to. And so that was the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question because that was a starting point then for me of kind of desiring to feel and recognize the atonement and the impact of the atonement in my life. Mm. And then from that point on, I tried to link experiences that I had with the atonement. And sometimes they might have just been when someone's testifying of the atonement and the impact of the atonement in their lives. Other times have come later in life as I've experienced atonement as a part of repentance or as a part of coping with challenges in my life. And so I think that's been then a process from that point where I've come to appreciate the atonement more. Mm. Um, And interestingly, a few years ago, uh, I had a very similar experience where someone who was a member of another church asked me that very similar question. And I think my answer then was very different. And I actually thought of that experience when she asked it and I thought to myself, I know how to answer this now. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Good stuff. Well, as you think back on your mission, are there a couple of key standout experiences or lessons that you felt like you learned, you know, things that you come back to time and time again? Well, one is in connection with the feelings of the spirit. There is an experience that I had where, Early on in serving a mission, I was riding my bike and I thought to myself, you know, what have I really felt the spirit? What am I doing here? You know, it was kind of one of those spiraling thoughts of negativity and started to question whether I had felt the spirit and whether I was doing the right thing. I can remember while riding saying a prayer in my mind, obviously, (laughs) and then having this flood of memories of all of these times throughout my life when I had felt the Spirit. And so while I had these negative thoughts that I'd never felt the Spirit, 
the spirit as written in the new testament will bring things to our remembrance did that very thing for me brought back to my remembrance all these times throughout my life when i'd felt the spirit and that i can remember that vividly because i started crying still riding along on my bike and it's been such an impactful experience that from that point on i've never questioned whether i've felt the spirit or not and I've been able to more clearly identify times when I felt the spirit and then remember them. Uh, and so I'm grateful for that experience because some people do have the same experience and look back and forget and, and don't remember the things. But, you know, I've had that experience witness to me that I can pray and ask the spirit to remind me to bring back to my remembrance these things. I think we all from time to time have questioned our ability to recognize the Holy Ghost in our lives. What advice would you have for someone who's thought that they have had spiritual experiences, but for whatever reason right now are in two minds about it? Yeah, it is very difficult um, because feeling the spirit is a very personal experience. And, you know, I can't clearly articulate or dictate how any given individual will feel and experience it. And so often it's by trying to have spiritual experiences together with them because you know then when you're feeling the spirit that they most likely will be as well. And then importantly, discussing how I'm feeling at the time with them and therefore helping them to start to discuss their feelings as well. Tell me about the members that you served with. Were there people in some of the branches or wards that you served that really stood out to you as role models and taught you something about how you wanted to live the gospel when you returned home? Yeah, there definitely was, actually. I found throughout serving uh, in New Zealand, there were, we made good connections with a lot of people. And the missionaries were a key component of each of the wards or branches. I, I, in particular, served in a lot of smaller areas. So I never served in the city of Wellington, for example, or the city of Christchurch. It was always the smaller towns around these cities. And so the missionaries were a core component to the ward or branch and thought of as part of the leadership. Uh, and so we worked very closely with the ward councils and, and the ward mission leaders. I remember in Nelson, we had this amazing ward mission leader who was an excellent teacher. And he had these key lessons that he'd prepared um, with information sheets and, and PowerPoints that went with them. And there was one about the restoration, one about revelation, one about the connection between faith and trials. So he had all these lessons that he would prepare and teach. And he kind of grew his repertoire of lessons over time but I was so excited about his teaching style and the material of his teaching that that helped me become more enthusiastic about that and I still use some of those lessons that he taught as part of my back catalogue of teaching so good were the, the experiences that I had with him teaching that I've continued to use them. Were there people that you taught that had to overcome significant challenges in order to accept the gospel? Yes, I found that particularly in New Zealand, and I think this is probably maybe a little stereotypical, but also pretty accurate, that a lot of people are very spiritually minded, um, particularly those who are Polynesian. Uh, and so in that regard, teaching them the gospel and having them learn the principles of the gospel and embrace them was relatively easy. But 
also there's a lot of de facto relationships or people living together and there's a lot of word of wisdom issues or concerns that people have so they were two key areas that were a challenge to work with and help people first of all understand why those things would be important to the lord but then also then make commitments and choose to not live that way anymore. A good example was actually in my very first area. We met a couple who we started teaching. We actually met the man, Jamie, and we invited him to hear the discussions. We went and taught him. His partner, they weren't married, she didn't want to join in on the lessons. But then it came time to teach him about giving up drinking in particular, um, giving up smoking and ultimately that he would need to get married now he had been learning these things and was excited about them but she hadn't so therefore she wasn't and she didn't want to get married and so that then put a halt to everything what we decided to do and this was actually his decision and asked us to fast together with him and so i can remember that specific week that we fasted together and that night he asked her to marry him so that he could be, well, I say that so he could be baptized, but, you know, obviously they loved each other and, and <laughs> wanted to be married. <laughs> uh, but he asked her to marry him and she said yes. So that was exciting for us. And also one of the earliest memories I have of a really positive experience with fasting as well. So that went ahead. They got married and then he got baptized. So they were married at the chapel and then he was baptized at the chapel. After the baptism, she came to us and said that she'd been thinking about it and she decided that she now wanted to have the lessons. And so then over the following two weeks, we taught her and then uh, he had received the Aaronic priesthood within those two weeks. And then after the two weeks, he was able to baptise her. Oh, that's so, so awesome. So that was, was an amazing experience, yeah. Oh, that's great. I love the way you talked about fasting and it sort of reminded me of that phrase in the scriptures, faith precedeth or precedes the miracle, right? Were there other experiences that come to mind where you felt like you really had to have a lot of faith for, you know, the Lord's purposes to be fulfilled? Yes. And I've always loved that example in the New Testament, actually, where the disciples couldn't cast out the evil spirits and the Saviour said that this kind cometh not out but by fasting and by prayer. I often felt like we had to put everything in uh, and sometimes even that wasn't enough and, and I found um, I had specific companions like my trainer who were great examples to me of the principle of fasting. I always found fasting hard growing up and still don't find it that easy but it's a lot easier now because I've seeing the benefits that come from it and the effort that you can show uh, or the commitment you show to the Lord um, by doing so. I love sort of the reference that you're making to effort and, you know, President Nelson's teaching that the Lord loves effort. Um, and you talked yeah. about putting in everything you could, not because, not because what you did was going to be the means by which, you know, the miracle would occur, but it's the way that you showed your Heavenly Father that you, you wanted those things to happen in your life and the lives of the people that you're teaching. Yeah, that's right. Well, before we, um, I guess, close off this little section talking about your mission, are there any other experiences or stories that you'd like to tell us about? One quick lesson that I just thought of when you were just talking then about the Lord desiring effort. It's, a, it's an interesting principle of the balance of placing effort 
and then the support that the Lord gives us to achieve things. And the, the importance of acknowledging his support or what he's made possible. And I remember towards the end of my mission, feeling like, you know, I'd achieved some great things and I'd grown as an individual. You know, I was kind of pretty happy with myself <laughs> and, um, and maybe a little prideful. And the reason why I say maybe a little prideful is I kind of got to the point where I felt like I, I knew everything I needed to know and I knew what to say and what to do. And I, I wouldn't prepare as much for upcoming talks or lessons or anything. I'd just wing everything because I was so confident with myself. <laughs> and then I remember receiving a letter from my dad. I can't remember what he said, but he included with it a talk on not being prideful. And, um, you know, and then wrote about the importance of not being prideful. And then I thought to myself in a prideful way, why is he telling me, why is he sharing this with me? <laughs> and then, but it dawned on me that the things that he was sharing and the things in the talk described my behavior. <laughs> and so that was a moment where I realized the importance of humility, the importance of acknowledging the Lord in the things that we, we are doing and the importance of things like preparing communication between the companionship and not being prideful ultimately. So that was a, a little experience of when I realized I was not acknowledging the Lord's hand and a bit too enthusiastic about my own abilities. Oh, that's good. I like that experience, you know, and it's, I think often particularly as, um, you know, hardworking missionaries get further into their missions and get comfortable with the skills and talking to each other and stuff, there is a tendency to rely on the arm of flesh to use the Book of Mormon vernacular, right? Um, mm. But um, I guess your story reminds us that, you know, all of these things, we're engaged in the Lord's work, aren't we? And what is that other scripture that we offend God when we don't acknowledge his hand in all things, right? Mm. Um, yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, talk to me about coming home. How do you think you're different because of your missionary service? Well, two things immediately come to mind. One was the advice of our mission president, which was to go home, but don't go back. Uh, and what he meant by that was that he wanted us to go home and not revert back to the old John Orth or the one pre-mission. He wanted, he wanted me to learn and grow from the experience and um, continue pressing forward and continuing to grow. So that's always stayed with me. And that's advice I've given to uh, returning missionaries to do likewise. He also taught the value of how to be released and to accept that release. So throughout serving a mission, I was able to serve in leadership capacity, like as a district leader and as a zone leader, travel around the mission and provide training, etc. What his approach was then was towards the end of your mission, you would be released from being a zone leader. You'd then be a district leader. You'd be released from being a district leader, such that you were just the standard missionary companion um, right at the end of your mission and he felt that that would help you um, understand the experience of being released and the need to continue working you know and continue on uh, and that's such that then at the end of our mission when we're released it's this it's a similar experience uh, we need to continue forward so that helped i think in the transition in coming home and i do look back and think that uh there are things that I 
did revert in in my ways as far as um, there were periods where I wasn't studying the scriptures like I would have on a mission or other things that I feel looking back I could have done better. But ultimately, I came back right at the start of the university year. So I was able to get straight back into university within three weeks of getting home. Uh, I got a job. I started dating Meredith again, and we were married within six months of returning home. So it was everything just continued forward very quickly. um, And I continued to follow that direction of my mission president of um, progress and growth. And um, I guess as you think about your life since, um, have there been times in your life where you've sort of relied on experiences from your mission or skills that you've learned during that period of time to help you to be successful in achieving the things that you and, and your Heavenly Father wanted for you? Oh, definitely. I use the experiences, the the insights, the approach to teaching or all the things that I learned on a mission, I would say I use them constantly. And so I'm so grateful that I served a mission and it certainly has shaped who I am uh, and blessed me with the experiences and abilities um, that I do have. And so grateful that I went. As a result, my desire is for everyone to serve a mission. You know, the, the, there's often the focus of the church is for young men, obviously, to serve a mission, but I think would benefit everyone from serving a mission. So when I served as bishop, my aim was that every young man and every young woman would serve a mission. It's just that great of an experience that would bless them for their entire lives. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Having had that experience, um, both me and my wife and, and you and yours, you know, I don't know how you could give up that opportunity to have the experiences that you have serving. I guess two of your kids are getting um, to sort of mission age. As a father and a, and a parent, what advice would you have your kids and, and other um, young men and women who are coming of age about, um, you know, the benefit of and, and how to prepare for, for serving a mission? Well, my first advice would be that every perceived sacrifice to go on a mission is worth it. And I use the word perceived sacrifice because, uh, you know, it seems like a sacrifice when you're 18 and 19, but looking back, it's not a sacrifice at all. Uh, and so every effort that anyone can make towards going is certainly worth it. I know it can be very daunting for some um, and there's many conflicting priorities. And so often the focus I have in my advice is to them is to focus on being temple worthy and going to the temple uh, and starting as that as the basis, uh, which then ultimately leads one to then feeling the spirit, recognizing the spirit and desiring to do something about it, which is often then going on a mission um, to help others to receive or have those same feelings. But it worries me when young people decide that they don't want to go or uh, they're making choices that ultimately are leading them in the direction that they they won't go um, because from my perspective, they're going to miss out on so much and that that small component of their life, those two years, will have such a lasting impact um, that I worry what the outcome of their lives will be if they don't go. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. And it's been great hearing about your mission. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Another mission and another life-changing experience. That's all I have for you this week until I speak to you again here in the Bishop's Office.